Hi, welcome to Oscar Film Review. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Damien Chazelle's Babylon. We finally saw the Hollywood epic. I'm actually really excited to talk about it. Uh, we're also taking a look at The Whale, Darren Aronofsky's, Darren Aronofsky's 2022 film starring Brendan Fraser. And what people are saying is a career-defining performance is in theaters. We've seen it. Uh, it's weird, Andy. Both these are 2022 features, and we did our best of 2022. And we were just talking about it before the show. I might have to make an amendment for one of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty, it was a pretty good week at the movies. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah, too bad. Few, uh, few weeks. So have you? Uh, did you watch a lot over the break? Now nah, I watched Glass Onion again. <laughs> I think most as, people as did. did I. Yeah, I, I rewatched oh, Glass Onion and Knives Out yeah. and Jurassic Park on the plane. <laughs> the first Jurassic Park. Yes, yes, yes. It's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah it's great stuff. Yeah, man. Glass Onion holds up so good. And Knives Out. Both fantastic. Anyway, uh, we need to get to the first things first. We need to talk about the news. And then in between our reviews today, we're going to be talking about most anticipated films of 2023. Uh, things that are coming out that we want to talk about. Some exciting numbers. Uh, namely, that there are a ton of comic book movies coming out this year. Oh, my God. You got you to gotta, you gotta hear this list. It's, it's bananas. First thing on the news, though. And, and a light news week, by the way. It's a bummer. Normally, we like to cover more here, but I think people are caught up in the holiday. Uh, Avatar 2 rocks New Year's with $86.3 million. No redemption for Babylon. Wow. No redemption. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited it's to talk about Babylon. It's forever. Uh, it, yeah. uh, I know. It's, 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 the, it's killing cinema. Uh, James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water dwarfed all other Christmas movies to finish the year-end holidays with more than $1.4 billion in worldwide ticket sales. Andy, we bet against James Cameron and we lost. <laughs> we did. We did. We're half oh, right, God. though. We're half, because, yeah. we're half right because the, I think domest domestically... Like its ticket sales are glo like one billion of that one point four billion is overseas uh international tickets. Uh domestically it's doing it's done almost four hundred and fifty million, which is still really good. But if it were just depending on that, it would not be a successful film. And usually films do better here and have a smaller overseas um kind of cumulative total. But in the case of Avatar, uh, it's the opposite. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's safe to say we didn't, let me, let me be clear, we didn't bet against James Cameron. We just said, us, two humble podcasters, <laughs> do not have our finger on the pulse of international markets, that this movie would have to be carried via word of mouth. Like Cameron's previous features, like Titanic, like Avatar 1, had big openings, but really made their money in the weeks to follow when people got out and told their friends, hey, you gotta go see this feature. And it seems like Avatar 2 is no different. Like, they had a fine opening, but they're now on track to pass... Top Gun Maverick as the highest grossing film of 2022. If you count the fact that it came out in 2022, is still in theaters. I know technically we are not in 2022. There's a, a whole thing about that in film criticism. But the, the point is, Avatar 2 is crushing it. And a lot of that's from overseas markets, which is something we thought might happen. I guess we perceived that could happen. But I had no idea it was going to be this big over there. I mean, like the lion's share of this revenue is from, you know, overseas. Right, and not only that, I mean, we were right in the kind of temperature of the film-going audience because th there have been like 10 releases in the last two months, and they've all kind of bombed except for Black Panther and now Avatar 2, which kind of shows that audiences are only coming out for these big event event tentpole features, you know, $500 million budgets kind of, kind of films. And that's, you know, that's great for, for The Way of Water and Avatar 
but it's not good for smaller films, for mid-budget films, for prestige films. You know, Oscars season is just around the corner. So I feel like we're half right in our predictions. It's true. It's certainly not good for Damien Giselle's Babylon. Uh, that movie cost Paramount like $78 million to make before marketing. And it's it's made like a total of, what, $10.8 million? Like, yeah. My God. <laughs> Huge, huge bomb at the box office. Will not make its money back. Um, boy. Ten years ago, that mo- that movie kills. Oh, dude. Well, you know, it's an issue. I think it's an issue of marketing. Like, everybody saw that trailer. You know, there's been two trailers out. Nobody can tell you what the movie's about. Before the movie, before this, this episode, we were talking about how we're going to summarize this for the description. I'm still not really sure how yeah. I'm going to do it, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, I think also this movie hurts because of a lack of physical media, things like DVD sales and rentals, right? Like, I'm guessing this is going to go to HBO after this, but then it'll just qu- quietly slip into the library, and it's like, it'll just kind of be this thing um we'll talk about babylon more in a minute but for what it's worth like a pretty exciting i think weekend at the box office for the holiday at least james cameron thinks so yeah he he's doing great uh like i said black panther wakanda forever was actually number three at the box office still it's been out almost two months uh the puss in boots movie prequel sequel whatever Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, uh, was at number two, so it's it's not doing uh, too bad. And then again, there were there are some new releases, Babylon, and also I Want to Dance with Somebody. This the Whitney Houston uh, biopic. Yeah, I I heard that movie is not as I don't know. <laughs> I heard it wasn't as, it looks so it wasn't mid. as good as I hoped. I still need to see it at some point. I, I still think I I personally think Whitney Houston's rad, but like you know that's 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 for me. As far as like the the biopic goes, it looks super generic. It definitely looks like it just kind of follows the beats, which I you know is fine for general audiences. But man, people sure have turned out for Avatar. One thing that really surprised me before we move on is Avatar 2's week over week. Uh, this week it made it had six percent larger audiences than it did. Last week, six percent growth in the U.S. So even if it's not doing as well as is overseas, like people, word of mouth is working. More people are going to see it rather than less, which is nuts to me. Right. There are there's two two kinds of movies. There Avatar is if you go to the movies like three times a year, and then something like Babylon is if you go like three sure. times a month, like 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 yours truly. So uh, James Cameron really does understand these international audiences um, and kind of the casual film goer because that's who's going to to see these. It's people who actually don't go to the theater very often. And that's and that's completely fine. And that you know it's anytime something can be successful in this in this economy. Uh, it's always kind of a miracle. Mm. Before I move on, I heard I heard some early whisperings that the next Avatar tribe for Avatar Three is going to be like the Fire Nation, like the Ash people, yeah. the Ash Navi. So you were pretty close with Desert. You you were like right on there with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with a, a different. Navi. It's like Minecraft. It's like a different biome yes. for each. Different biome. Yeah, we got forest. The volcano water, people. Uh, volcano god i don't know what we're doing next sky i, I don't know they, that one's already kind of flew it's, I, I don't know it's, it's kind of the Either first way. one we'll be re- sky and forest we, we'll be re- yeah we'll be we'll be returning to pandora soon when is avatar 3 supposed to come out not surely uh, not 2023 20, 2024 2020 yeah right. 2024 because they're supposed to alternate yes. years with star wars which i don't think the star wars part is going to happen but basically every no. other year we're going to get get one of these yeah and reportedly they already shot like most of the footage they need for three so at this point it's just compositing i'm sure they have a lot of work to do uh keep it here on off script for more from the box office and just how far the avatar 2 bull is going to run 
Uh, with that, we should move into the reviews. Uh, we're going to talk about Babylon first. Uh, I'm going to be taking the summary on this. Normally, we do a bit more news, like I said, but boy, I think people were just not paying attention over the holiday. <laughs> not, not much has happened. Uh, so with that, we should move into it. Please excuse my clumsy delivery. Uh, the movie is Babylon. So Babylon is a large-scale Hollywood epic. It is three hours, ten minutes from director Damien Chazelle, who directed Whiplash, La La Land, uh, First Man with Ryan Gosling playing Neil Armstrong just a few years ago. Uh, he kind of took, I think he intended to kind of take a year off after that, but then the pandemic happened, so he ended up taking a couple years off. But now he's returning to cinemas with Babylon. Uh, this is a Hollywood epic in every sense of the word. It follows a handful of different figures in the Hollywood industry, uh, a young starlet, an aspiring waiter, uh, and and an old soul, a musician who's who's on the come up, uh, a great a great actor. Uh, it follows this group of characters in the kind of rise and fall and subsequent rise again of Hollywood's tumultuous 1920s and 1930s when they made the leap from silent films to talkies, right? Films with sound. Uh, and then on into the 50s. Uh, Babylon covers a large swath of time and it covers a good handful of characters with a bunch of subplots. Uh, at times it is winding and messy. Uh, at other times it's surprisingly thoughtful and I think really profound. Uh, the film stars Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, Diego Calva, a bit of a newcomer. Uh, excited to see him on screen. Uh, gosh, I, I, I need to look up IMDb for everybody else, but that's what's going on in Babylon. Uh, Andy, what'd you think? <laughs> uh, well, I went into this pretty skeptical. I, you know, again, the trailer wasn't telling me what it was about. It reminded me a lot of the Wolf of Wall Street. You know, there were jokes of twice upon a time in Hollywood because it kind of has a, a similar kind of feel to once upon a time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's movie. Uh, but I ended up really, really liking this, um, getting on board. It's about the the passion for movie making. It reminds me a lot of Hail Caesar, where it's about both the the good and the, the bad and the ugly of, of filmmaking. And it's about this, the rising of stars, the falling of other stars, the, fl the, I was telling Zach, the paradoxical nature of, of Hollywood, where Hollywood is both fleeting, where, you know, stars in, come up and get chewed up and spit out in a matter of years, but how Hollywood is also eternal and, you know, the, the films will last, you know, as, as long as we do and how we're going to be making movies and, until kingdom come. Uh, and it's really, so it's, it's about that and our, our kind of two main characters trying to make it in this brand new world. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it's a crazy adventure and it's, uh, man, I, I really enjoyed it. Love the sound soundtrack. Good, uh, you know, jazz tunes all, th all throughout, uh, gets a little long uh, in in the third act, but um, I really enjoyed it. I was really surprised. Yeah, I I actually really liked it too. Um, it's one of those Babylon's a great example of a movie that's sitting around a fifty on Rotten, and people may think, oh, that must be a bad movie. No, 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 no. That's not how Rotten works. <laughs> fifty means it's divisive. People either really like it or they really don't. And when I saw early reviews for Babylon, that seemed to be the case. But some people were saying uh chiselle's totally missed the mark 
uh, he took too much time. He he needs to go back to something smaller budget. Uh, he is he is he has wasted our time with this feature. And I saw other people saying, "My God, the man's done it again! Like it's brilliant. It's better than his last movie. It might be his best. Like he's combined features of every one of his films. The 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 passion in the craftsmanship from Whiplash and the excitement of the Hollywood epic from La La Land and like a surprising bit of history from First Man." all come together in Babylon to create like this picture of Hollywood that is uh, hilariously debaucherous, I should say. Uh, <laughs> Hollywood in the 1920s, the roaring 20s it is, uh, is depicted mostly in the in, in the form of like, gi- like small sets built out in a big dusty field in the canyon where crews are running around with film cameras and actors and extras trying to organized like shooting 10 different features on one lot using the sunlight because that was just how they were doing movies uh to like debaucherous uh parties I, there's a better word for it but i don't know if i can say it without getting content id on facebook uh giant parties where <laughs> actors and actresses yeah. are doing all kinds of horrible things to one another uh if you're watching us on a facebook live stream if you've seen the poster the trailers you'll see a kind of like warm warmly lit party scene with tons of hands and people and people in masks uh that's what i'm talking about and and it is like this huge party right at the open of the film that's that's met with these like huge sweeping camera shots from right out of la la land great work from giselle and his team uh to bring us into like this wild world where our characters live uh and the movie gets you on this roller coaster and keeps you on it fully through the first act and then it does start to slow down because it's three hours and nine minutes which might be a little long it's as long as avatar (laughs) it is it is as long as avatar yes which is crazy that's funny uh let's get into our plot a a little bit in our our characters so our two kind of main main characters our main character is manny torres played by a diego calva who has done a lot of i think spanish language uh film and and tv uh, we meet Manny trying to deliver an elephant to this crazy party, and uh, he he kind of weasels his way in in there to just be like he's just a yes man. He's gonna get something done. You need something. You need this guy taken somewhere. You need someone driven home. Like he's just kind of there, and he, he he loves movies and he loves the movie industry, and he's trying to to break in. And we also meet at this crazy party uh, Margot Robbie's character Nellie Leroy, who is just like. This New Jersey girl, she's got attitude. She's on fire. She kind of just barges her way into the this uh, crazy party, and through happenstance and a series of events, they they both take a, a step foot into to the industry. Her as this brand new starlet, and him as the kind of a junior, junior, junior production assistant executive. Um, and we kind of follow both their their journeys, and we also meet some established characters. Brad Pitt playing the, the fabled Jack Conrad, who's a star of silent film. He's got a, a ton of money, ton of renown. He's he's a mover and a shaker in, in Hollywood, living the high life. And then also we meet uh, Gene Smart, a uh, character who plays Eleanor St. John, a kind of Hollywood re- reporter, gossip columnist uh, who's there as well. These are our kind of main characters that we're going to be following throughout, throughout uh, the movie. Yeah, um, I like this duality of, not duality so much, but this, this like element of cycles in this movie. Um, we kind of have like this rise of this excitement in the 20s with like the booming of the industry and there's so much money in Hollywood and like 
the people could not be in a better place there. And then this like turn into sound, which is a great turn uh, right around the second act when uh, Brad Pitt's character, Jack Conrad sends Manny Torres uh, to go watch uh, the, the, a movie with, Sing- with, with sound. Okay, the jazz singer. Uh, That's right. Al Jolson's the jazz singer. Yeah. And, and Manny goes to see it in a theater and you get this wonderful scene in this giant theater with all these people, tons of tons of extras. The scope in Babylon is, is not to be, we we, we got to mention that on this show. Yeah, <laughs> like, I can't believe how much is going on in this movie. Um, but he goes and sees this movie, and then he calls up Brad Pitt and says, "Everything's about to change. Everything's going to change." And it does. And suddenly, this Hollywood that these characters are all used to and like and enjoy, and, and they find magic in, is turned into like a very sterile on sets. Everybody quiet because the mics are on in hilarious fashion. Bright lights that are torching people and and camera rigs that are so hot people are having heart attacks and just like capturing all of the chaos of movie making, um, but also highlighting like these tremendously profound moments when like you get the shot and the scene works and every puzzle piece falls into place. And you have this like amazing moment of like magic in the universe when you you finally capture that that fabled scene, the sunlight you needed to, Jack Conrad giving the big kiss, like it's fantastic, and, and I like the way this movie seems to be able <laughs> to handle that and compartmentalize it. And on the one hand, praise filmmaking for the magic and like the creativity that it is, but also like skewer the industry <laughs> and the way things are done, both on set and off, uh, in professionalism and and in party mode, which there's there's a lot of in Babylon. Yeah, everyone is kind of disposable. Uh, Nellie Leroy gets her big break because uh, another a- actress becomes indisposed, uh, and she shows up and she can do it all. And there's an incredible scene of the of the director asking her to, you know, well, I need you to cry again. Wait it through your left eye only. Wait for the camera, and it's just like and she can just do it all, and she does it like take after take after take, chain changing up, and uh, you know. Th- but it's just like you can be replaced at any second, and that means you can get a, a a chance at any second. I remember listening to a an interview with Margot Robbie where she said they had something like seven hundred extras at one point for some of these scenes, and it was just like, the, the, you know, she was like, you don't see stuff like that anymore. They they just don't do it. Yeah, and, and like that's part of what makes like this journey our characters are going on so captivating to watch in a theater because. They're they're in the business of making film, right? And like what you're watching when you see Babylon is a film in a theater. And at times characters reference the idea of the screen, right? And seeing each other on film reels years after the after after the film is made. You know, after somebody might have died, being able to see them again on screen and and kind of be immortalized in that fashion. Like Babylon has a lot to say about the history of filmmaking and the history of Hollywood and in, in its good and bad moments, right? Like in its, in its best times, you get the dreamers finding success, uh, Margot Robbie landing a role or, or Diego Calva's character, like getting a promotion from a studio exec at Kinescope, a, a fictional studio, which in the film in which all of these events pretty much take place. Um, but in other moments you get like, <laughs> the horrifically ugly side of Hollywood. Uh, you can see that in the trailer with Tobey Maguire's character, the seedy uh, face paint man, like who's got these yellow teeth. <laughs> yeah, the, the gang, the uh, gangster looking, stuff, the gambling. Yeah, the, right. The drugs, who who the takes debauchery. our characters to the seedy, yeah, seedy underbelly of Hollywood. And I like the way that Babylon manages to 
past all of these characters through time across this journey of Hollywood changing and then the fallout after that and what happens to the old as the new come in, um, but managed to hang on to that bit of like, hey, there's a lot of like twisted up, raw, disgusting emotion under everything that's happening here because making movies is really hard. And I, I like that it manages to kind of say that while also giving us like a relatively gr great looking feature. Um, man, this movie looks so good. And the soundtrack. Oh, my God. The soundtrack soundtrack to Babylon is great, man. It's really good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I forgot. Uh, I, I don't know where his character is. And oh, uh, Sydney. No. Uh, there, there's a trumpet player who is also Sydney Palmer is the name of the character. I know. I was okay, just looking yeah. him up on IMDb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jovan Adepo, uh, who I, I believe is actually playing the, the trumpet uh, here. If not, he's very uh, convincing. Um, he's a big part of that because his he's part of this jazz combo that's at these parties and eventually is in a lot of the films as well. And eventually they, they turn the cameras on the band and there are some of these these jazz films that were part of uh, the, the early talk, talkies. And we, we see kind of a rise and fall of that that character as well. That's what's interesting. Usually this this movie would be like just about stardom and the rise, or it would be kind of stars born where some people are rising while others are falling. This we see lots of rises and falls in the same movie. And it, where, you know, Deli Leroy becomes a star overnight night. As soon as talking films happen, she kind of has to adjust and, and she, and has to kind of reinvent her character. She's just kind of this down and dirty New Jersey girl, and they have to try and dress her up, teach her to be polite and have etiquette and know how to rub elbows with with the elite. And it just doesn't work out, but you see a lot of these characters having to make adjustments and fight to su survive in this ever-changing Hollywood thing. Um, for Babylon, I, I've heard people say it's a historical drama, and it kind of is. It's it's a fictionalized historical drama. Like I mentioned, Kinescope, the studio where all of these actors and most of the business in Babylon is happening, did not ever exist. But MGM, which very much did exist, is mentioned in this feature, and uh, like is, is you know is is talked about at one point. Like you do see things from other parts of Hollywood that I think were pretty pretty accurate, pretty real, even if it's not quite as like bright and shiny as. Chazelle makes it look here. Uh, additionally, our characters are mostly based on real people. Uh, it turns out uh, originally Margot Robbie's uh, role was going to be set for Emma Stone, but she couldn't do it after the pandemic due to scheduling differences. Uh, so they rewrote her character to be a little less like her her, her original inspiration, uh, an actress named Clara Bow, who I've been learning about since I watched this movie, who basically has exactly Margot Robbie's story <laughs> in this movie to a fault. Uh, it's It's like it's pretty much exactly what she's got going on additionally Jack Crawford uh Brad Pitt's character is based on a couple of old uh, uh a couple of old bright bright and shiny actors from back in the day and I I like this movie's ability to like look back at Hollywood from the now like as 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 we move through time like things start to feel a little bit more relevant like at one point you hear singing in the rain and you're thinking in your head as you're watching this film in 2023, like, oh, okay, I know what that is. Like, I, I get that. But the characters in the film obviously don't. And you get to kind of enjoy this, like, I don't know, voyeurism that, like, I don't see in a lot of features from a different side of Hollywood. There's that great scene, like like Andy said, when uh, Manny's character is talking to Sydney uh, at a shoot. And, and Manny says, what do you think of the shot? And Sydney says, I think you got the camera pointed the wrong direction. 
and what Sydney's saying is to point it at the musicians. That's where the real story is. But in a way, like that's exactly what Chazelle is saying. Like, I don't want to look at the screen. I want to look at like what's going on in front of it and behind it and like how these things are made. And I think, I think Babylon does a really great job of threading that needle while also giving us a pretty captivating narrative for each of our characters. It is a little winding. It, it does have some pacing issues, admittedly. I still think three hours, nine minutes is too long. <laughs> but if it had been yeah. 90, it would have been too short. So it, it does use the time pretty well, I think. Yeah, the uh, like the first act is fairly short. It's a, it's actually only about a half hour, and that's all the party. Like the, the There's only a couple giant parties, and the opening one is, is the very first. And that's when you get the, the, you know, the title card is at the, kind of the end of that first big party and then then the second act is pretty long and is and as the the third act but some of the this stuff again it's about the the pain the blood sweat and tears of, of movie making and and the, the kind of passion for that and then i think that's part of what really grabbed me yeah and i think that translates to the movie itself like lots of really long takes lots of really intricate camera moves through lots of extras big direction big music big performances I think Babylon might be super good. <laughs> and it's weird. It's weird that it's so divisive. Like I really need to go back and read some of these reviews from people who didn't like it because I I I get that it's different. It's it's not it's not quite mainstream. It's definitely different, but like I, I it's what do you call it? It's it's a, a movie for movie makers. And like in that way, I think it's really special. Um, it's like Andy said, like there's there's two kinds of people that go to the theater. There's people who go well, every, three times a year. And there's people who go three times a month. And for the three times a month people, like this is really special. Like I think it's something really cool. But I don't know about the people who go three times a year. They might they might hate Babylon. <laughs> I I really wish that things like this and and the whale, which we'll talk about later, would just come out earlier than year in the year. We get so many move. We get railroaded with, with like ten movies. 10 prestige films in the last six weeks of the year. And it would be like, this would have been played great in the fall or in the summer. Uh, yeah. Y- you know, I-, I think a different time of year when it's not a- up against avatar, I know it's counter programming, but you're never going to b- go win with like a hard R Hollywood epic versus a, a PG 13, take the whole family film. It is weird that this comes from the same studio that put out Top Gun Maverick, right? Paramount, like, because that is such a huge runaway success. Oh my God, they had it in theaters for three months. And and that movie had like in, insane shoot, shooting direction. Like I can't imagine, I, I don't know how much they spent on that, but like some of the, some of those shots getting fighter pilot shots and checking the weather so they'd know where the 26 sun was. Cameras. The it, insane. Yeah, like insane production to put that together. And it's been huge. And then Babylon obviously doesn't cost as much. But it's still this really big, big scope idea and just like totally deflates at the box office. Like it's it's just a, a, a stark difference, I think, um, coming out of the same place this year. But I don't know that it's neither here nor there. Uh, the point is, I think Babylon might be worth watching. Andy, any more thoughts for recommendations? Uh, I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Babylon? I would. It might be challenging uh, for some and there's definitely some content warnings, but uh, it, it's really this phenomenal trip down uh, memory lane and looking back on how things were as opposed to how Hollywood likes to remember itself. Um, the, the first two acts are just really solid and incredible fun, great performances by our leads, Diego Calva and the great Margot Robbie, of course, along with Brad brad pitt it's a lot of fun i've been having playing the soundtrack on loop i, I can't get enough of it the uh, it's definitely one of the best good. 
it's definitely uh, one of the best films uh, of the year, and it's a shame it just came out so late and that hardly anyone's going to see it. And if you if you're going like it, definitely is something that needs to be seen in the theater. Uh, I I might try and get another screening of it in just to see it one last time before it leaves. Um, I'm in the same boat. I think Babylon's great. Uh, I, I I don't think it's for everybody. I could I can confidently say that and not everybody's gonna like <laughs> this movie. Uh, I, I, my parents would not like it. I could I could say that for sure. <laughs> it's a, it's a hard R. Yeah, big content warning. Um, I I think Babylon's really special, and I think Babylon will be on lists in the future of like special movies that nobody really paid attention to, or movies about Hollywood that like are underrated. You know, like I think I think Babylon will come back around. Uh, when I saw First Man, I thought, "Uh oh, Damon Chazelle's made a little bit of a misstep here. It's good, but it's not great." Um, and coming out of Whiplash and La La Land, I had felt that way, and it, I feel really good about saying, "I think I think our man is back, baby." Like Babylon's good stuff, and I, I in a way, I love that it's. Un- I mean, I don't love that it's underperforming, but like considering what Babylon, all that Babylon has to say about the industry, I think it's almost a special thing that like it spent so much money and is doing so poorly. <laughs> um it's it's meta commentary on how things work is is fantastic and like in in a way i think if you've seen the film especially in theaters like you kind of get in on that joke a little bit more and and that's that's not a bad thing i also want to try to see it again Uh, like i said it's a little worrying that that a bunch of high quality prestige films came out in the last six weeks or so and almost none of them they're basically all bombing which is really worrying for for the future. It's like people won't see small and mid-budget films in the theater, and you you can't, like Avatar's doing great, but you can't survive just on that. No. Yeah, it's it's good. You got to have something. If it's not word of mouth or something exciting to, like, get people out front. I You know, I think Babylon's got big scale, and I think it's got a great cast, but, like, I just think it, you know, it had this problem in its marketing where it was, like, they did a thing like, like, like Amsterdam, where they're like, we're not really going to tell you what's going on in this movie. It's just zany, and there's a lot of people you like, and like, it looks pretty good, yeah. right? The, like, like the cinematography Mar- looks good, but like, you got to give Margot us more. Margot Robbie, like, for two. Yeah, oh, God, dude, don't get me started. She's gonna, dude. She's gonna. Okay, first off, Margot Robbie's great in Babylon, and secondly, she's gonna be great in Barbie. So hopefully, hopefully, she will get her due. She'll get her day. I don't know. We'll see. With that, we should probably move on to our next segment. Um... I guess we don't really have a fancy uh, title for this one. Uh, Andy, you want to, I don't know, you want to intro? Yes, this is our 2023 most anticipated films. And so we got a lot of things coming out. We got a couple of articles up. Uh, We're going to alternate every month. I'm going to take both January and February upcoming. And then uh, Zach, why don't you take March? March is actually going to be a huge month. I Um, think that's a good idea. <laughs> Not a lot coming out in January to really look forward to. January sixth, uh, Megan comes out, which is the horror m- movie about the robot doll child thing that comes out actually this week, uh, which is attained meme status on, on the internet. So I think it might do well just off that. Um, other releases in January thirteenth, we have House Party, and that's kind of the end of the the list. <laughs> And uh, the other list, like I have, don't even have January on. That's how important how few releases are in January. Yeah, how are you feeling I, about uh, those two? I, you know, I just saw a trailer yesterday, and uh, when I saw Babylon for Plane, starring Gerard Butler, which I had not heard of or seen a trailer for or anything before yesterday. That's a January joint. Like oh, yeah. ah, okay, so yeah, January is. Uh, listen, 
if you if you haven't been with us for a while on off script, welcome. Uh, January is the time when studios are dumping junk. They're like, we don't know how this is going to perform. We don't want to put it on streaming. It's just going out in January. We'll get some of those holiday residuals, right? People creeping in in January who enjoy going to the movie in December. But like, Megan and House Party, I think the only things are particularly exciting. For what it's worth, the trailer for House Party actually looked pretty funny. Uh, Megan, I dude, I'm. I gotta get over this it's gonna, thing. It's where gonna I, kill. It's gonna kill. I know. I know. But it's a PG thirteen horror, and the whole movie's in the trailer. And I just like, I don't know. Like, I God, I'm starting to feel like an old man shouting at clouds. You know, like kids these days going to see meme horror. Um, it'll be all right. Yeah, maybe it'll be great. I, look, I like Barbarian a lot, and that was kind of meme horror in its own weird way. In February, we got three big releases: Magic Mike's Last Dance, uh, starring. Shannon Tate and, and Salma Hayek, uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh. This comes out February 10th. Uh, the last in that, the Magic Mike trilogy, which is a funny Yeah. February it's going to be the one with the 30 minute dance at the end. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. February 17th is uh, Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the first of five Marvel releases this year. Uh, I'm pretty mediocre on, on this. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Kang the Conqueror, who's supposed to be the big bad of my Marvel phase four through six, although we haven't even seen him yet. Um, but he is the bad guy in this film and supposed to be kind of a larger bad I hope he kills all the entire Ant-Man family. Maybe oh, that'll okay. 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 All right. <laughs> come on. Come on. Don't, don't, don't Mar- say that. That sounds mean. But- Following uh, that, we the other big release in February is uh, Creed Three, uh, which is the third in that film. It's directed by, directed and starring Michael B. Jordan, uh, which is those films have done really well. And finally, we'll kick off February twenty fourth with Cocaine Bear, the uh, crazy comedy uh, directed by Elizabeth Banks. Uh, I hope that movie does great. I, I listen, I'm definitely skeptical about, about cocaine bear. And I told myself like, when I saw the trailer again, just yesterday, uh, in front of Babylon, I was like, maybe it'll be like violent night. Right. I was really skeptical on violent night. Violent night's actually a lot of fun. That was a sleeper. I didn't expect it. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be great. But like, boy, I feel like I, half the kills are in the trailer. Like six people die in that trailer. I'm like, you don't have many more than that. I mean, I know it's a bear, but like, it's not a, you know. I don't know. It's fine. It, cocaine Bear will be fine. Uh, the, in March. Let's talk about March because yeah, yeah, March is March. exciting. Uh, first off, this is an interesting one. 65. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for this. Uh, Adam Driver plays a, what, an astronaut, astronaut who crash lands on a foreign planet. Yeah. Only to discover that the foreign planet is prehistoric Earth. 65 million years in the past. Which is where the 65 comes from. And it's like, boy, y'all should have left that for the t- twist at the end. Like, I... <laughs> it's fine knowing that it's fine i don't know how they got adam driver to do this movie i feel like he's he he can do bigger and better but i'm sure they paid him handsomely for it so that's 65 uh scream 6 is coming down the pipe march 10th uh follow up to scream 5 of course but notably not starring uh what's her name sydney prescott uh, nev campbell she's not nev gonna be campbell, in this movie yeah. She, she, yeah, when they were getting production together, they, they threw her an offer and she was like, I'm worth more. And they were like, no, you're not. And she was like, see you later, <laughs> which is good for her. Uh, yeah, this, this stars a lot of the kids from the original uh, Scream 5, Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, as uh, hanging out in New York City when suddenly Ghostface shows up. Ghostface takes Manhattan. That's what that's going to be. Uh, Shazam, Fury of the Gods. 
all about it. Shazam 2 uh, is in a weird spot. Shazam 1 did pretty good when it came out. I think people were surprised at how good it was. But it's been a minute since we've seen anything from that. Uh, Black Adam did come out, but was pretty far away from what Shazam had going on. But now we know the DC Universe is getting flipped in 2024, so we don't really know where Shazam 2 is going to be. Even still, looks okay. looks like it's a lot about family, notably from one of the writers of the later Fast and Furious movies. So it's going to be a lot of a lot of family. They even make a Fast and Furious joke in the trailer, which is weird because the guy wrote it. Uh, any hot takes about Shazam 2, Andy? I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's a property I like. the uh, The first trailer is kind of weird. Like the villains just look kind of weird. We'll that that yeah. which is Helen Mirren and uh, oh I can't remember her name Lucy Liu. Uh, Lucy Liu. So we'll 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 see. Uh, but I'm big. You know I'm a big DC fan, so we'll definitely uh, see that. I think they're probably going to try to make all the DC films just stand alone and not tie into anything, so they can start over in 2024. I th- think that would make the most sense either way i don't know it could be a good time uh john wick four i know i gotta move through these john wick chapter four the trailer's out uh me having not seen any of the john wick movies i've tried i tried to watch john wick a couple times it's not <laughs> as good as everybody remembers it just isn't uh john wick four is a trailer full of lore and action and i don't know what any of the lore means <laughs> but andy caught up recently andy what do you think uh, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, these it's kind of like a comic book movie because there's this like secret association of of assassins, and they all follow these really strict rules. Which is like, if you're an assassin, why would you follow any rules? But that, it's what they do, and it's very it's very tongue in cheek, and it's a lot of crazy over the top action. The three movies have been incredibly successful. Four is going to do great, I'm sure. One more movie in March we're talking about, Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Dun- Dungeons & Dragons, for those who aren't in the know, is doing better now than it ever has in history. Wizards of the Coast is recording record profits. Uh, yes, it's that Dungeons & Dragons from like you know the 70s and 80s that The Simpsons used to make fun of. Uh, now we have a blockbuster feature coming out. There was a movie that came out in the 90s, early 2000s maybe, did not do that well. Uh, <laughs> this is a bit bigger in scope, uh, starring Chris Pine, Hugh Grant, uh, Regé Jean Page from Bridgerton over on Netflix, Michelle Rodriguez, a couple other exciting folks, uh, and that's the, the, the D&D movie. Wait, wait, I, look, it might be good, right? If the script's good and it's a fun time, I think, I think they got a hit on their hands. I mean, it looks like they put a lot of money into it. Yeah, it it doesn't really appeal to me, but if you're, you know, a D&D fan, I, I think it like they'll probably all go see it. We'll watch um, it for the show, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving into to April, some interesting yes. rele- releases. We get the Super Mario Brothers movie, starring of course Chris Pratt, Anya Taylor-Joy, Jack Black, and more. This is going to be a huge thing for animation. It's the first time Nintendo has made a film in I think like 30 years. Because the first time yeah. they did, it went it went over so poorly. They they have really been afraid. This is going to make a, a billion and a half dollars. Billion, <laughs> I have billion no. with a B. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, There's no way this movie doesn't make a billion dollars. Yeah. In the middle of April the 14th, we get Renfield, which is uh, the horror comedy starring Nicolas Cage playing Dracula. <laughs> oh and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard about that. Nicholas Holt playing Renfield. Renfield is like uh, his, Dracula's lackey in uh, the kind of the, the book telling of this. So th- that'll be interesting to see what that's like. And then in late April, we get Evil Dead Rise, the latest entry in the Evil Dead franchise, which was originally supposed to be slated for HBO Max, but is actually going to be hitting theaters. Uh, real quick about Renfield, Nick Cage and Nicholas Holt, I think, 
could could be a dynamite pair that might work really well those those two are pretty i don't know uh may 5th i gotta i gotta start moving through these two faster uh, may 5th we see guardians of the galaxy volume 3 final guardians film uh before D- james gunn makes the leap to dc uh it's gonna be a big closeout for him i think all the characters or at least a couple of them are getting retired uh for sure big day batista said he is not doing tracks anymore because <laughs> he's in his 50s now and he's like i can't sit for makeup for four hours like i can't like he's it, it drives me crazy uh may may 19th we see fast x what is reportedly the finale no 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 wait this is the finale part one i'm sorry <laughs> this is not the finale i think fast x is going to be one of a part two as i understand it. it's the second to last installment uh seeing vin diesel and crew get back together to, to probably save the world or something uh my hot prediction vin diesel will fake die at the end right and then he'll have the big come comeback in the new fan i mean surely like that's the only it's the only way it's time travel. Oh, and then have time try it's, it's gotta be yeah they already went to space uh which it, we would god we were just talking to somebody about that the other day and they were like wait wait i didn't see the last fast and furious movie they really go to space yes Yes, they yes. really go to space in the last Fast and Furious movie. Yes, it's a, that's not a joke. It's a real thing. Lastly, in May, uh, The Little Mermaid, the live-action adaptation coming from Disney. We'll see, man. Uh, it's starring Halle Bailey play, playing uh, Princess Ariel. Uh, Melissa McCarthy plays Ur- Ursula, and Javier Bardem plays King Triton. What a cast. Uh, Halle looks amazing. The singing's great. The singing's better than the original, for sure. Uh, I'm excited to see the rest of it. I, in fact, I think when the first trailer came out, I said it was too dark. And actually, the, the next trailer, I was like, it's noticeably brighter. So I'm glad that's taken care of. Like, I could, I could see the ocean. We'll see, man. The last live action we watched from Disney was Pinocchio, and God, it was bad. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh, it was bad. So at least this one's going to theaters. I think they've got some confidence behind it. We'll see. June is going to be huge. It's going to be a huge bunch for the movies. We On June 2nd, we have Spider-Man across the, the Spider-Verse, uh, the sequel to the, Spider- the first Spider-Verse movie. That's going to be huge. June 9th, Transformers Rise of the Beast, which I'm I'm actually more excited about than I, I've never been excited about a Transformers movie in my life. I don't understand. I, I it's like I'm missing the joke. Like when did the hype <laughs> train come through for Transformers Rise I, of the Beast? I don't know. It just looks cooler for some reason. Uh June twenty third, we have the long awaited Flash movie, which was supposed to actually come out in this past November has been delayed and delayed and its lead star Ezra Miller has been a blight upon the, the, the country getting arrested harassed people um crazy but that's going to come up and that's probably that's the biggest DC release this this year it's one going to be one of their biggest movies it's it took so it took literally 9 years to make this film i don't know how it took so long and then finally at the end of June to close it all out Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny boy uh first off june is going to be a great time at the movies like even if i don't think much of transformers uh spider verse 2 the flash and indy 5 in one month dude (laughs) one week apart yeah that's yeah each week boom 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 and if you're transformers fan congrats there's one of those in there too like that's wild i i'm i i i don't know which one i'm most excited for probably spider verse 2 uh, cause the first one was such a free, I mean, I honestly, I think if you see one comic book movie in 2023, it might have to be that one. Cause it's just yeah. so different. Um, the flash though. I mean, it, look, anything could be going on in that movie. Uh, so what's, what's crazy about, 
that so last year when Thor Love and Thunder came out, nothing came out the week after because no one wanted to get in the way of Marvel. Um, yeah. Indiana Jones is not afraid. It's giving the Flash no room to breathe. It comes out the very next week. It's dude, not a lot Indy, of com- Indiana confidence. afraid of nothing. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dude, in Indy looks like the trailer. Look, listen. The trailer plays great. I'll say that the trailer in the theater feels big and bold. James Mangold, which is huge. Like it might be heat. But like I I I don't know what the gimmick's gonna be, and boy, Harrison Ford is not getting any younger, man. Like I don't know. Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it plays. Take us through July. July, yes. Uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Uh, it is weird to think we have had to wait a year to get another Tom Cruise movie because when Top Gun: Maverick came out, it was all anybody was talking about. It has graced numerous top ten lists this year. It is a big deal, and now we have to wait for the next Tom Cruise adventure, but we've got it coming in July with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. What is reportedly supposed to be, I think, the wrap-up for, like, Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible, but, like, (laughs) I don't really believe it, honestly, at this point. Like, why would he ever stop making these movies? Uh, But, yes, Mission Impossible uh, 7, this is going to be this one, is coming out uh, this year, and then Mission Impossible 8, which is going to be the follow-up to this, is going to be the next year they're doing the fast and furious i really fast and furious is doing the mission impossible thing so just expect that gimmick part one of two that's going to be happening again next up in july we've got oppenheimer uh christopher nolan's new feature starring uh, killian murphy as j robert oppenheimer inventor of the uh, father of the atomic bomb uh this movie looks exciting and just like all nolan trailers you don't get uh, everything that's going on i mean just looking at the poster like the top build cast half of them aren't even in either teaser or trailer that we've seen not even in there so it's weird that like there's there's whole characters that he's not even like glimpsing us yet you know like you're just gonna have to go see it and see it in a big theater and that's what we're gonna be doing here on off script biggest screen possible imax preferred the marvels comes out july 28th which is whoa 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 whoa, whoa. Oh, oh, whoa, what whoa, else huh? comes out this what else comes out the same what? day is I'm, I'm looking at i'm looking at ron tomatoes what are you looking at you're looking at uh hollywood reporter Oh my God, Barbie, dude! How can I have forgotten <laughs> Greta Gerwig's classic? Of course, starring Margot Robbie as the titular Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken. Very excited. I, uh, frankly, it's amazing that these are both coming out on the same day. I can't believe I nearly forgot. Uh, what are the odds that like two diametrically opposed forces of cinema—the father of the atomic bomb and the father of the plastic doll, m- mother of the plastic doll, whatever—like <laughs> go, <laughs> go to theaters toe to toe? July twenty first. I love it. I, 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 that might be that might be a new highlight for off script covering both of those in the same week. I can't wait. It's gonna be great. Uh, July 28th, because I got to move through this. Uh, uh, the Marvels. Yes. <laughs> it's coming out. The follow up to uh, Captain Marvel uh, is, is is back and they're going to do more Marvel stuff. It's one of five Marvel three movies Marvels. coming out next year. Yeah, I can't. The Marvels, which is a Marvel movie like I, we might be jumping, jumping the shark here, but I'm not sure. And one more thing worth mentioning. Uh, Roosevelt, Martin Scorsese's new picture starring Leonardo DiCaprio as the titular Roosevelt uh, going through the Great Depression, World War II. This was announced back in 2017, and we haven't heard much since, so it may not actually pan out. But reportedly, that's when it's supposed to be coming in July this year. So keep an eye out for Scorsese's new picture. Is that not Killers of the Flower Moon? Mm, It's not what it's called here. Is that a totally different? Oh, wow. I didn't Mm. even know that was happening. And I'm Uh, going into. Go ahead. Yeah, going into August, uh, just a couple here. 
Or actually, the big one, Blue Beetle, which is going to be kind of the final movie in uh, the DC... No, the the third DC movie to come out this year, originally slated for HBO Max, will be coming to two theaters. We don't really know much about it, uh, but that'll be coming out in August. Uh, September includes The Nun 2. Um, I think it says a lot about the state of horror that The Nun is getting a sequel, because I remember seeing the poster and the trailer for The Nun and thinking, well, I don't think nuns are scary, so that's going to be a big miss for me. And apparently it wasn't, and everybody liked it because they're making another one. Uh, we're also getting the uh, Untitled A Quiet Place spinoff. Don't know what it's going to be called yet, but that's what's supposed to be coming out. We don't know a whole lot about it, but there's supposed to be another Quiet Place thing happening. And then additionally in September, The Equalizer 3? I think it's just Equalizer 3. Anton Fuqua, Anton Fuqua, good lord, and Denzel Washington are back for the latest movie about Denzel Washington's character in The, in the Equalizer. I haven't seen either of those movies, have you? No, I haven't. No, I probably should, but I just remember seeing trailers for both of them and thinking like, oh, okay, it's like it's like the Taken gag. It's like, you know, o- older guy who's seen some stuff is is doing action stuff. Neat, you know. I just didn't. I don't know. I wrote it off. But good lord, there's a third one. Maybe it's worth maybe it's worth watching. Oh, dude, are they making Expendables four in, in September? <laughs> yeah, oh God. <laughs> Hold on. Speaking of of older guys and former action stars getting together and making things happen, Expendables 4 is coming out in September. Wow, I totally missed that. That's great. Um, Okay, that's September. Going into October, uh, some of the big releases, Craven the Hunter, which is a Spider-Man villain uh, property that's getting its own movie. This is probably from Sony. Sony, you know, accidentally (laughs) bought Spider-Man 25 years ago and is desperately hanging on to it so they have to keep making the villain verse adjacent yeah. adjacent movies to uh yes yeah uh get this in uh, th- uh uh the exorcist october 13th which is uh going to be the first in a trilogy by director david gordon green who recently directed the new halloween trilogy so that at one point that might have excited me it doesn't really in- <laughs> anymore see now how the Two of the three new Halloween films are kind of not good. So we'll see. I'll definitely be watching it because it's The Exorcist. And it's uh, it's going to be a direct sequel. And um, the mother is coming back. I can't remember the name right now. But uh, the woman who played the mother in the original Exorcist is coming back in her same uh, role. Or the girl who played her. God, what is her name? It escapes me. You know they should have got to The Exorcist Linda Blair. Remake? Linda Blair is Linda, Linda Blair. Blair is, is right Yes. Now. You, you know how they should have got to do the Exorcist remake? Uh, Luca Guadagnino. He would have done a cool Exorcist. <laughs> it would have oh, been yeah. three hours long and had weird chanting, but like it would have been great. <laughs> yeah. Would have been ex- existential. Uh, listen, listen. It's right. L- l- like David, listen, I think David Gordon Green has a lot to say about the industry and Halloween. I hope he steps into some bolder shoes with the Exorcist and does something really special. Like, because I, I mean... There's a lot. There's a lot you can do there. And in November, Dune, Dune Part Dune. Two, my, my Dune Arrakis. is finally coming out. Yes, Arrakis. Yeah, uh, yes, the highly anticipated sequel to 2021's Dune. Yeah, right. It's been two years. Uh, is out. When that movie came out, it was labeled as Part One, and they hadn't signed off on a Part Two yet, but it did well enough. They're making it. It's coming out. We're excited to see it. Also, in November, The Hunger Games: The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. They're making another Hunger Games movie, folks. Uh, get your tickets. It's a preview. Uh, I, I'm prequel, not a, prequel. I, I did. I, I really have not seen them. Uh, I probably should. I just. I don't know. I. They, 
I just kind of missed the boat on him. But the prequel stars Rachel Ziegler uh, from West Side Story and the upcoming Snow White live action remake uh, as Lucy Graybeard, uh, who is from District 12 and then has something going. I, I don't I, I haven't really seen Hunger Games, but if you're into it, that's coming in November. November. Yeah, the, it it's weird that that movie's coming out because um, that the YA genre post-apocalyptic thing is kind of out of vogue now. So it's kind of. I don't know. It seems kind of overdue. A little bit. Getting into December. Now, we're way out, and a lot of this is going to change. Things are going to get pushed or added. Things we didn't ever know about. But Wonka, the Willy Wonka remake origin story starring uh, the great Timothy Chalamet as Willy Wonka, who I've heard is is fantastic. Now, you wouldn't think it, but um, he is also a new adaptation of The Color Purple, uh, which we haven't heard too much about. And then Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom comes out Christmas Day, of uh, which will be the the final thing in this in DC's pantheon of films before James Gunn uh, kind of takes over. Um, and some other other things that we haven't heard or that we don't have dates are, but um, the big one is Ridley Scott's uh, Napoleon, a uh, big film starring Walking uh, Phoenix, is uh, supposed to come out sometime in twenty twenty three. You want to mention anything else in here? Because <laughs> there's a bunch nah, of there's it, a bunch of DVDs. Oh, it's, oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, sorry. Bo is afraid is uh, the next one from uh, Ari Aster. Yes, Hereditary and um, Midsummer. Right. Oh, I did. Sorry, I could uh, miss him here at the bottom. Killers of the Flower no. Moon. Oh yeah, is, there's uh, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So he's actually gonna have two. So does that mean he's gonna? I'm have gonna two films? No, I'm gonna say that incredible. Roosevelt movie's bogus. Like maybe that's happening, but I've seen more from Killers. I've seen at least a still from Killers of the Flower Moon. If he's making a secret Roosevelt movie, I'd be shocked. Like, yeah, probably not. Some, yeah. Insane, yeah. Uh, yeah, Wes Anderson's new feature Asteroid City is expected to come out at some point this year. Uh, Bradley Cooper's new feature Maestro is expected to come out. This movie's weird. Uh, it's about Leonard Bernstein. Bradley Cooper plays the famous composer. A handful of other stars in it, but they couldn't find a distributor for a while. And it's like a star is more stars born made like $700 million. Why is nobody picking up Bradley Cooper's new feature? And they've got it now. It's Netflix. Uh, that'll be coming out at some point. Um, also worth mentioning the color purple is getting a, 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 an adaptation of the Broadway musical. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but that's coming out in December. Um, uh, Big year at the movies. I realize this took way too long for us to get through. Yeah, this is, I, we should have condensed this, but here we go. Here we go. It's are. fine. It's fine. What do you Listen, do? it's fine. Yeah. Hey, we're, we're look, if anything, we're thorough. Anything you're particularly excited about? I mean, anything that really jumps out at you? Dune. Uh, excited to see where this Marvel, not Marvel, the DC stuff goes uh, with The Flash. And just we're also just going to be getting more, more news on that. Oppenheimer. Uh, of course, that's probably it's Dune. Dune is I'm going to be hype trained for for Dune for the next eleven months. I tell you what, yeah, we're gonna have it's going to be a heck of a run in 2023 from April to like August. I mean, Super Mario, uh, the new Nick Cage movie, Guardians Three, Fast X, Little Mermaid, Spider Man Across Spider Verse, Transformers, The Flash, Indiana Jones, Oppenheimer, Barbie, Marvel's got a new movie, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles got a new movie coming out in there, like. Good lord! Like <laughs> it is, it is a bananas run uh, of a summer, and I think that's ultimately like going to be a good thing, right? It was slow through the pandemic for sure, but now we're through it, 
and Hollywood, well, mostly through it, and Hollywood is, you know, get, getting back on their high horse. They're ready to make movies. I'm excited to talk about them. So, if you want to hear about these movies, or more that's going on in 2023, or, you know, just find out what's what's happening at the box office, keep it here on Offscript for more. And with that, we should probably move into our final review. My gosh, much later than expected, but it's <laughs> uh, still worth hearing. Andy, uh, take it away. The whale. Why do you suddenly need to see her so bad? Why now? Yes. This is the latest film from Darren Aronofsky, best known for Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan. His last film was Mother, which I think only I have seen. <laughs> kind of a cra- crazy, crazy film. Uh, hasn't made anything in like uh, five, six years. So this is his first film. Uh, this is based on the play by Samuel D. Hunter. And this film is very play-like. It all takes place in one one person's apartment, uh, basically. Starring the great Brendan Fraser, who we've heard so much about as Charlie, a 600-pound man who is, he's an English teacher. He teaches a course online. Uh, he is essentially slowly dying, and he, he kind of knows he doesn't have a lot of time left, and he wants to try to make some things right with his uh, estranged daughter, played by Sadie Sink uh, of Stranger Things fame. And she's anything but char- charming in this. She's so mean in this, <laughs> this movie. Uh, the film also, this is a very small cast. There's only like uh, seven people in this film. Uh, also starring Hong Chow as Liz, who is a ner- not his nurse. She is a nurse and a good friend of his. She comes to check up on Charlie every uh, every day. She brings some food. Uh, and she's the one who kind of says like, your your heart's failing and you you probably aren't, aren't going to last the month, the the week. Um, and that's kind kind of our setup. So he's he's a man confined to his apartment, largely confined to his couch, and who's trying to make things right with some people in his life uh, before the end. So that's our that's our setup. Incredible performance by Brendan Fraser, which we'll get into more. Zach, what'd you think? Uh, so. I, I didn't really know what to get into in The Whale. Uh, Andy and I are both big fans of A24, anybody who's hosting a freaking movie podcast is. And we knew it was from them, but we hadn't really seen a trailer. And we knew it was Darren Aronofsky, but we hadn't really seen much from it. And they released like one still and like nothing leading up to it. Like a teaser where you don't really see anything. And it was like, what? what's the deal? And then early screening started to say, this movie's fat phobic. <laughs> this movie's got problems and i was like what, what's happening like why, why aren't we seeing anything so finally we get a full trailer i watch it andy did not uh and i got excited for it i was like okay i i think this will be something good and, and ultimately i'm pleased to say that the whale is something special like it definitely is i, I think just like a lot of darren Ar- aronofsky's features are um because it it explores an emotional place that like not many movies dare to go uh which is somebody not only suffering from like a, a horrible addiction that is killing them, but that that addiction be eating like, and it's not somebody who's like anorexic and doesn't want to eat like Christian Bale and the machinist It's quite the opposite. It's somebody who feels compelled and can't not. And like, I think that's really fascinating. I, I do think in times it's excessive, uh, especially with it's open. <laughs> the whale is a pretty stark opening. Watch out. Uh, but I think it's able to do a lot with a really effective script adapted from a play that functionally all takes place in the same place. Cause you know, like in a play, you've got one stage and it's probably fixed up to be Charlie's apartment, which is where pretty much everything happens in this movie. Um, so for two hours, that can be tough to <laughs> entertain an audience, keep people hooked. 
and at times it does start to feel slow, but ultimately, like, I think it's actually maybe a really kind of special journey that Aronofsky's taking us on here, and I think he does a really great job adapting something that's already pretty notable. Yeah, I was I was really surprised um, because, again, it is very... It's not very cinematic in a lot of ways. It's very much like watching a play. It's You get the kind of thing where side characters are like, oh, well, when Charlie, backstory, backstory, backstory. A lot of things like that are told via dialogue, which would normally you would just see a flashback or see it portrayed on, on screen. So it has that very play-like feel. Um, but it's just, it's a very pro- profound movie. It You know, it's about loss because his his being so overweight is... It, it's a big part of him, but it's really a small part of the overall all film. It, it's him trying to make things right. It's about everyone in the film is trying to save someone else, uh, which is an interesting dynamic. His his Liz, his nurse and friend is trying to save him. He is trying to save his relationship with his daughter. There's a missionary character played by Cy, Ty Simpkins who's trying to save Charlie's soul to, <laughs> at the end of his life. And, there's a lot of that that kind of um dynamic and it's yeah it, it's a really profound piece of piece of, of literature and it's been adapted really well for the screen andy's right uh, it's a small cast i think in total it's seven people uh when the credits actually roll i think imdb credits are seven or like six and then plus one on the side because uh, it's a pretty small performance but um this movie like does so much with the people it has like rather than get out in the world and and add context like through visuals uh for the most part you're locked in like you don't even really get much of in the way of like flashbacks you you will have scenes when characters are kind of monologuing explaining like their past or con- like a con a contextual like reason for why they do something that they do in the film why a certain decision is made why they feel a certain way why Charlie left his daughter, right? Like, and, and, and his reasons for doing that, why he eats and why he seemingly can't stop, why he won't go to a hospital or examples just from our lead. But like Andy said, it seems like everybody in this movie is trying to save somebody else. Everybody is motivated to help. Everybody is motivated to do the right thing. And what's interesting is Charlie is just trying to show that to the few people that he can, that interact with him, that, 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 that people are truly amazing and like are capable of really amazing selfless acts but you get that through honesty and and through being genuine and being candid, even if sometimes that's an ugly truth. Um, a big part of the way this is expressed is through Charlie's work. Uh, he is a online uh, adjunct professor at a university, uh, and he tells his students that his camera's broken. <laughs> so when he's hosting classes, that's how he gets paid. That's his paycheck. That's what he does. Uh, and he, he's a writing professor, writes, reads and writes essays. Uh, his camera's off and he's just kind of this like black darkness uh, in on the screen that his students are wonder what's going on here. And it's, it's, it's quite interesting for him to be so disingenuous, like with people he's instructing, but also try to feel like, Hey, I, I need to reach out to my daughter who I functionally abandoned and don't spend time with <laughs> because suddenly I don't have much time left. And, and he seems to be at peace with that. And I think that's a really interesting Tret like line for Fraser to walk, especially being the lead in a really challenging role, I, I think. And and Fraser does a really great job of of spearheading that and and setting the tone, I think, for other people in the film. And that's only picked up and run with by our cast. Ty Simpkins is tremendous as this kind of missionary character who's really really small, but ends up kind of being a bigger part of the 
things. His daughter, Sadie Sink, is vicious. God, she's so mean to him. <laughs> she's oh, so yeah. mean. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> she's mean to him. And Hong Chow um, might might be a dude might might be the breakaway for me in this movie. Like I liked her fine in the menu, and I know she's getting some more casting, and she's on the, on the come up. But dude, she's so good in this movie. Oh my god! Like <laughs> she is excellent as Liz is kind yeah, of like, like friend and caretaker. Yeah, like all we, we all we've heard is a, is about Brendan Fraser and his performance in this because he's the main person. But like Hong Chow also bringing some incredible. Dude work and performance to this as well. I I think she should definitely get like a supporting uh, actress nomination. We'll see how that happens. Let's talk about this big performance by, by Brendan Fraser that um, everyone's been talking about. Cause we've been hearing about this for months. I didn't know what this movie was about, but everyone had been talking about the, uh, his performance. So he, he is playing a 600 pound man and he's wearing a big body suit, fat suit. um, And he has to, there's a lot of emotional scenes, but he also just has to, in, embody the struggle of what that is. Um, he, you know, he spends most of the time on his couch. He he cannot really walk anywhere without a ton of effort. He has a walker to to help him get around, but it's you know like a Herculean effort to go from room to room. His bathroom and things have been modified for for his size, and you just see him like he's got to rock and kind of get some momentum going to get himself up, and it, it's. No, the physicality of the performance is is really in, in incredible. Yeah, and it's not only the physicality, but also like the general design around Charlie's uh, ability to move and engage. Like Charlie cannot turn his head. And it's almost like almost, almost like what like old Michael Keaton in like eighty nine Batman. Like can't turn his head much. <laughs> he's pretty. He's pretty much locked like into place. Um, he his his character is is often like dollied around. <laughs> that happens a few times in the movie, like just a big wide dolly shot all the way around him, like it like it's like it's orbiting him, uh, like it's like and and he's got a ton of sound design around Charlie, lots of like grunts and groans and wheezing and like breathing and smacking when he's eating, like just like all of that I think contributes to. A design that I think a fair number of people are, are offended by and maybe rightfully so, but I, I do think it's stark in its presentation and I think it's not necessarily a bad thing. I love the way Charlie's eating is handled like Aronofsky handles it like 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 it's it's a dark thing. It's a bad thing. And it's it's a weird thing like eating disorders, right? Especially overeating because you can't ignore it. It's not like alcoholism is, of course, a challenge, but like. You could you, you could move to a dry county. You could try to avoid it, but eating like you got to stick your hand in that cage three times a day. You don't have a choice. Like so, watching Charlie try to have self control while also like things spiral rapidly out of control for him uh, creates a lot of like dramatic tension for Frazier to play with, and he does a fantastic job. He's just got these like of everything. I think Frazier's got the soft face, and he's got these like striking blue eyes. It's what, uh, it's what, uh, no one said he liked about, uh, Killian Murphy so much, like the striking blue eyes and he's got it. And like, he's, he's just often got this kind of wide, you know, wide eyed look at the world that is so not reflected in his like <laughs> broken down apartment that is like dusty and smells terrible. You know, um, it's not well, somewhere it's, people want to spend time. Yeah. It's important to, to point out, like he's not just, He's not just a big guy because the author wanted to make him a six hundred pound man. He's he wasn't always 
that big or that heavy. Um, this is a result result of depression and you know me- mental health breakdown of of loss. Essentially, he he's has lost someone very dear to him throughout his in his life, and that's part of the reason he is this big. And that's why, like the I think the the bigness is is handled really well because it's not it's not like oh look he's fat and gross. It's no, he, he is this way because he is self destructing because of all these things uh, in his life. Aronofsky's work often deals with uh, the idea of self-destruction. Requiem for a Dream is a, is about hard hard drugs and, and drug addiction. You have something like Black Swan or um, The Fountain. All these movies deal with people being their, their own doom, and, and this movie is the same. He is literally eating himself to death, and, and Liz tries to say, let's take you to a hospital. Let's call 911. He's like, no, I'm not going. I'm not moving from this couch. And he has right. excuses for for why not, but it essentially like he's he is ready to die. He wants to die. Yeah, um, I think one of the things that really makes this movie work for its two hour runtime, uh, despite being stuck in mostly the same place, is its ability to perpetuate like mystery uh, through our characters. Um, questions like, yeah, what happened to Charlie to get him to be like this? Who was this person that passed away? Why did he leave his family? Why doesn't his, why does his, you know, why doesn't his daughter talk to him? Why is she flunking school? Who's this missionary character? What's his deal? Yeah. How, why is Liz taking care of Charlie? But it's not like her job. She's, she seems to be doing it like for fun or as a hobby. Like she's not paid. Like why, why is that? What's the deal? You know, why isn't he going to a hospital? Like the whale presents like a series of questions. And over the course of the film, you get the satisfaction of seeing all of these things resolved in one way or another for better or worse. And like that creates a lot of, I think, tension that keeps you tuned in for the runtime. Does drag in the middle a little bit. Uh, Andy and I both both were surprised to see it was two hours. Remember when we found that? I was like, oh God, I thought this was gonna be a tight ninety minutes. But for what it's worth, like I don't think it's time wasted. I think it's time well spent. But you know, it is. It does. Like it. It all takes place pretty much in the same place. You got. I think you got to know that going in. I think you'll have a better experience. Part of what I I wanted to bring up. Yeah, you mentioned the missionary character played by Ty Simpkins. He keeps showing up. He's basically shows up once a day to try and witness to Charlie and, and, you know, get him, get him to find religion at the end of his life here. Uh, part of this movie is about religious trauma. Uh, there's, I think the church is called new life or something new life, similar yeah, to yeah. that. And, um, every character has some sort of connection, either directly or indirectly to this church. And it's, uh, about the pain of growing up in, uh, super religious uh, environment and the kind of the harm that that has caused literally everyone in, in, in the film. But that's another thing that, that the movie is, is also dealing with. Yeah. Like, I, I guess I'm saying like, there's a fair number of surprises in the whale that make it work for what it is, but it's, it's overall, I think a thought piece, like it's, it's slower and it's smaller and it's based on a play. And I think that's part of the reason it works so well because it's uniquely humble. It's a small budget movie. I mean, if, if anything, it's basically a pandemic feature. Like it's something they could have shot, you know, it's a, it's a one location shoot like Malcolm and Marie or Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy. Um, but I think what this movie does better than those is somehow manage to still feel big. Um, no pun intended. Like while also being like a uniquely small series of subjects. Um, and I'm not quite sure how Aronofsky manages to pull that off. I, I didn't see mother as previous feature. Uh, Andy was mother. not a big fan. Yeah. 
Uh, and I know that movie definitely had more people than this movie, but I guess I'm saying like Aronofsky is no stranger to small stories uh, and being able to like pull out the emotion from them. And I think, uh, I think he does that really well in the whale. Um, yeah. To disparaging fashion at some points. Any other, any other thoughts for recommendations? A uh, last thing I wanted to touch on is that the whale is part of it. It gets in its title. It, this isn't like making fun of his character as much as it's uh, also a reference to Moby Dick. And there's a parallels between that story and kind of what's things that are happening in this play uh, as well. So there's something else to watch out for. Yeah. Keep an eye out for it for sure. Andy, would you recommend the whale? Uh, I would. It's definitely a challenging work, but it's, it's got some of the best uh, things that I, that in, in a movie that I've seen in a long time, uh, has a, a really incredible third act. I mean, he drags a little bit in, in the middle, but Brendan Fraser's performance is, is incredible. I think he definitely will probably take the, the Oscar even over someone like uh, Austin Butler. Uh, but really phenomenal, highly recommend. Man, you might be right. Yeah, the, the Whale's really good stuff. Uh, I'd recommend it as well. It's not for everybody. Uh, big content warning, too. Um, like I said, this deals heavily with... Uh, at least one disorder for sure. And, and a lot of trauma like that's worth mentioning. So if you're maybe not feeling up to it. Maybe talk to some friends who've seen it before you take the time. But uh, I think the whale is uniquely different. I think it's like, it's, it's like bold cinema light, right? It's not, it's not, <laughs> not quite the boldest of bold cinema, but it's definitely different. And if you're looking for, if you're looking for something really different at the movies, go check out the whale. Like you, you might be surprised at, at, at how well it may connect with you. Like you, you know, you'll have to wait and see. Uh, with that, we should probably, wrap things up for the week god yeah, this one definitely turned out longer i gotta move faster through my damn summaries of like me me too we, we, we i love talking the about year. them i can't help it <laughs> I want to, we went through the whole year yeah so. i know i want to talk about everything that's coming out and how i feel about it and who's in it and how it came around and like it's totally unnecessary these are all films we cover on off script this is what we do every single tuesday we get together we talk about two movies so if you haven't subscribed to the show if you haven't kept up with us, you absolutely should. I'll tell you where to do that in a minute. But Andy, what are we watching next week? We are watching The Pale Blue Eye, which is a period piece murder mystery starring Kristen Bale and Harry Melling. Harry Melling is, is playing Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, that's out on Netflix. It's a spooky, moody thing. I've heard a lot of good things. That's January 6th this Friday. And then we're also going to be seeing Megan, the horror robot thing that's coming straight to theaters we'll see if meme magic can uh revive this i, I know a lot of people that are going to see it so th those will be the two that we do so off script is back episode 201 and 202 um yeah we're back baby for 2023 uh Andy, we might have to get together to go see megan because i can't find anybody to go see it with me <laughs> <laughs> everybody i'm told i'm like hey so i gotta move awesome. for the podcast this week and usually i got a couple friends who will be like oh what are you seeing i'll, I'll go see with you. you know whatever we'll hang out and i was like megan and they're like yeah i might be busy <laughs> next week i may not have the time uh whatever megan will be fun i i am kind of excited about pale blue eye harry melling's a sleeper man like i think people most people would probably just think oh yeah it's the kid who played dudley dursley from the harry potter movies but like he's good man ballad of buster scruggs fantastic performance like he mm, he's good stuff 
if you enjoyed the show today, if you like what we're doing here, if you want to find out more about these movies that we've been talking about, or maybe some of the things that are coming up to find out if they're worth your time, the easiest way to do that is to follow us on Facebook, where we live stream the show every Tuesday, including right now, if you're watching on live. Hey, how's it going? Hello, chat. Nobody, Nobody's watching, but sometimes people do. And you could be one of those people. We're on YouTube, or I upload our live stream shortly after the fact. We're on iTunes, Google, and uh, Apple, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Android, all the usual podcast places. The easiest way to keep up with Offscript is just subscribe on those places. If you listen to us on iTunes or audio format, you can subscribe there. You can follow us on YouTube. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on all the usual social medias. We're also on our website, OffscriptFilmReview.com, and you can email us correspondence for recommendations, things you think, hot takes, disagreements, arguments, condolences at mail at OffscriptFilmReview.com. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.